there. You're listening to the Only Schoolers podcast. I'm Gina Prosh, and hanging out here with me as always is my co-host, Kristen Edwards. Yep, I'm here. So hello, Gina. How are we already past the middle of September? This has been such an incredibly odd year on so many levels, and it seems to be really picking up speed here at the end. Um, First off, I do want to shout out thank you to all of our listeners. You guys are doing such an awesome job spreading the word about our little podcast. The Only Schoolers community is growing bigger and bigger every day, and that just makes us so happy that our word is getting out there. So keep listening on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find us and keep spreading the word. In fact, we'd love to interact with all of you listeners even more, so please feel free to hop onto Facebook and leave us some comments and conversation starters. Absolutely. And we'd especially like for you to keep submitting your biggest homeschool questions. We're keeping track of those that we've received so far, and we're getting ready to give you our best answers during our October 15th podcast. And remember, there is no question too big or too small or too weird. Trust us. Um, You can reach out to us and be part of our Facebook and Instagram communities. Look for the Only Schoolers handle, or if email is your thing, you can find us at onlyschoolers at gmail.com. I don't know about you, Gina, but I am really looking forward to that October podcast. I mean, I just love talking with other homeschool parents about, oh, who am I kidding? Anything homeschool. Even though I'm completely happy with the curriculum that we've chosen and I've created, it's so fun to hear how others approach different subjects and topics. Oh, yeah. It's um, kind of like a those back-to-school lists we were talking about a few weeks ago. I have to check them because there might be something out there that I never thought about, but now I absolutely must try. It's the same thing with curriculum or activities or routines. I want to see what everyone else is doing just in case it might be a good fit for us. Exactly. We don't want that fear of missing out, do we? You know what's turned out to be a really great fit for us curriculum-wise, and I know you're going to know this because we've had more than one walk around the rink talking about how it fits into some of our kids' subjects. So I'll give you a hint, but I know you're going to guess it, because it pretty much sums up my dedication to this new kind of curriculum. Do you recognize this quote? Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I will take famous last lines of a movie for 500, Alex. Uh, Classic, classic movie line, classic Bogart. You've got Casablanca there. Yep, that's it. Casablanca is one of my all-time favorite movies. So if you haven't guessed by now, movies and television are the curriculum that we're talking about today. I know that we both experienced movie day in high school, particularly popular with the substitute in the room or as a class reward for, you know, being quiet or doing well on a test or whatever. But here we are going way beyond that with this podcast because this is a subject that Kristen and I talk about a lot. And honestly, it's really an underutilized educational method. Movies, television, documentaries, they don't have to be added to the curriculum. They can actually be the curriculum. Exactly. So it was only fitting that we play off my love of bogey and title this episode, episode 12, Here's Looking at You, Kid, Movies and Television as Curriculum. And this was an eye-opening concept for me when I first stumbled into it, and it did take a little mental gymnastics for me to wrap my head around it. But this idea of using movies and television as the curriculum with minimal or even no books required, it's definitely a winner in our homeschool. Oh, for sure. Like you said, it can be a lot to process, but do not worry. We will walk you through the steps and show you how you can supplement or create a curriculum with nothing more than a TV set and a streaming service. 
you know, it seems like younger kids are very visually oriented. So why not harness that and use it in your homeschool? Now, this is, of course, it's going to depend on your comfort level with screen time and every family is going to be different. I know with our family and I know with you in September too, family time TV is part of the family culture. And, you know, maybe it's partly the only child thing. Sometimes it's just nice to take a break from the one-on-one and sometimes from all the talking and still be able to spend some quality time together, but not be verbalizing. (laughs) It always gives us, also, it gives us something new to talk about after we've watched something in common. And so uh, we both make extensive use of visual media in our homeschools. I think we've narrowed it down to three main steps, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think the first one we've kind of alluded to before, it's the one we're probably all familiar with. It's that classic read a book and watch the movie curriculum. There's certainly a place for this, and it's really a great way to start sort of wading into the deeper waters of a visual media curriculum. Then, you know, when you're comfortable with that, we'll move on to, I don't know, I kind of call it a hybrid curriculum because that's where you still focus on print media, but you start sprinkling in documentaries or movies or random television shows that actually do a better job illustrating the idea than the book does. And then the last step, I'm going to let Gina describe and name it because she has gone full in with it and created the coolest transcript class ever. And if it was accidental, I don't want to hear about it, Gina. Just take a bow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I shall put on my Sally Field here and say, you like me. You really, really like me. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But seriously, this last step is total immersion in the idea of movies and television as the curriculum. Um, Yes, there's discussion. There's lots and lots of discussion. And there may be some additional readings sprinkled in, but the primary focus is on the visual medium. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later in the show, but you know what? Let's just go all in with our theme. And even if it sounds a little goofy, we're going to say lights, camera, action. Kristen, are you ready for your close up? (laughs) You know it. Okay. So, step one is super familiar, like we said. If you didn't do it in your school experience, then I'll break it down for you. It's mostly used in literature classes, although it does slip into history classes as well, or at least it did in, in my high school years. And it's that classic read the book, watch the movie. And it's classic for a reason. It works. It's kind of like eating gummy bears with popcorn. And please tell me I'm not the only one who does that. Uh, don't know about that. I've never tried that combo. But I do love the like the super sour gummy worms and Oreo cookies. It's that dirt and worms ice cream thing together. But you are right. Reading the book and watching the movie is a classic because it works. I think my favorite way to implement this is first, last, and always with Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare was never, ever meant to just be read. Shakespeare didn't think people were going to sit around with books of his plays in a chair and read them. Shakespeare is about the stage. It's about seeing characters come to life in front of you. But you know, it's actually not always that easy to get the local theater to put on the Shakespeare play you're studying and do it at the same time you're studying it. So (laughs) really, you know... (laughs) I need my own personal theater to, you know, oh, do Hamlet now. Okay, can you do Merchant of Venice in the spring? (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> so since we can't do that, movie adaptations of those plays are really a great way to bring Shakespeare to life. Another thing that I recommend with movies is watching maybe a couple of different versions of the same play to see how different characters, different actors interpret lines and scenes and situations in different ways. You know, um, how does Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet differ from Richard Burton's or Mel Gibson's? And also like for Hamlet, you could watch The Lion King or you could expand out and do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. There's a whole bunch of Ophelia-centric movies that are out there too. So what about you? What book and movie duos are you watching while you're eating your popcorn and gummy bears? Okay, well, that is a good combination. You really need to try it. But I'm going to go way back when September was probably all of two years old. And we had a Dora the Explorer book that went along with a certain episode. Actually, we had lots of Dora the Explorer books that went along with many episodes. You know, Dora was her little Spanish-speaking buddy, although I do think the real draw was to swipe her, <laughs> the fox. But naturally, there were some differences between the books and the episodes, although they were pretty much identical. And sometimes we would read the book first, and then we found the episode, or sometimes we'd see the episode, and then we'd stumble on the book when we got to Barnes & Noble. Either way, it was a good introduction to that crossover between books and movies. Oh, isn't that bookstore serendipity just the best? You know, have you ever come uh, across a book and said to yourself, hey, I saw that movie. I didn't even know there was a book to go along with it. I have, yeah. And as usual, if I did the compare contrast, the book always turns out to be better. Always, but always. Always, always. It's just a fact. But as September got older, you know, we read Charlotte's Web. We watched the movie. You know, in a lot of those older chapter books, kind of the classic ones, they do have movies that go along with them. And we really just sort of made it a game to find a book, to read it, then watch the movie. Talk about the books always better. James and the Giant Peach. Great book. Terrible movie. <laughs> I just, we, I don't even think we finished it. But you know, there's a lesson there that, too that's valuable. Not all, and honestly, I'd say most fall into this category. Not all adaptations are good. And that kind of leads naturally into that discussion of compare and contrast and what did you like and what didn't you like. And so by the time we hit the Harry Potter books, we were really old hands at it. We read the book, watch the movie, draw our own conclusions about the choices made by the film's directors and why we would or wouldn't make the same choice. So it's really starting to kind of emphasize that idea of finding textual evidence to support your ideas, even though obviously I wasn't calling it that when she was two or five or eight years old. <laughs> But, you know, even little people enjoy watching a movie and picking up on things like, hey, that guy doesn't have red hair and it says in the book that he's got red hair or, you know, wait a minute, they skipped a part. You know, whatever it is that they happen to notice. We're both book lovers, so we focused on literature here for our examples, the books that are made into movies. But have you ever used visual media with other subjects? Oh, for sure. And this is where we kind of start moving towards step two on my visual curriculum ladder. That idea of a hybrid curriculum option. You have the book or, or what a lot of us, you know, call a spine. It's just something to hold to everything together. But you kind of start sprinkling in movies and documentaries or TV shows. And it's really just a natural offshoot of that classic first step. Because in this step, you're not necessarily using visual media to compare and contrast to a specific book but you're finding visual media that supplements your subject. So I'm gonna start with my basic use of the hybrid curriculum. And you know, a couple of years ago, I created my own American history curriculum. 
focused it on the 20th century up to the 1980s because that's my favorite. And I couldn't find anything else out there to purchase that covered what I was looking for. And there's really no point in having a history degree if you can't nerd out on your daughter once in a while, is there? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, I'm sure why it gets nerded out with Shakespeare. So I had a couple of books as my spine, but I filled in a lot with movies and documentaries. And in fact, after each decade, we would finish with a traditional meal from the decade because I'd found a, a cookbook that broke down recipes like that. And we'd watch a movie that was set in that decade. So it was really a good way to sort of visually see everything that we'd studied and to see how certain aspects of a particular time were translated on film. So, you know, think Meet Me in St. Louis with Judy Garland or Newsies for the early 1900s. We watched A Bear Named Winnie for World War One. I. I mean, we really watched so many great classic films for each era. And for younger kids, you know, those American Girl movies make a great fit with history. And I do have my movie list. I'll go ahead and link it up in the show notes so you can kind of see what we were watching as we worked our way through the 20th century U.S. But I think where things really took a turn and it became more than traditional step one, study an era, watch a movie, that visual media model really kicked up a notch when we hit the Great Depression. Oh, I bet because there are so many great documentaries and movies out there that cover that time frame. Oh, exactly. I mean, we watched a ton of footage about the stock market crash. We listened to Roosevelt's fireside chats while sitting around our own fireside, of course. But where the hybrid option I think really took off for us was the Dust Bowl. And we had briefly covered it in the spine of the history text thing that I had, but we found a Ken Burns PBS documentary documentary called The Dust Bowl. And it was amazing. I mean, it brought us right into the middle of all that dust. I swear, Gina, my teeth felt gritty after each episode. And September is not a history buff at all. But there was something about the Dust Bowl that really drew her in. And it wasn't because of what we read in the textbook. It was that documentary. It was four episodes, so it's probably like four hours or something. So we broke it up, and she was literally saying, can we watch more as each episode ended? Oh, I understand. Ken Burns, he makes my heart go pitter-patter. Do you think you learned or found yourself learning uh, more and being more engaged as a result of using that visual media as your curriculum, say, as opposed to just from a book? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, we spent far longer on the Dust Bowl than I'd originally planned, just because the visual stuff was out there and it told such a compelling story. I mean, talk about bringing history to life and talk about all the rabbit trails we went on. I mean, I tracked down other filmed interviews and more footage and just different movies that um, examined that time. And it, it sparked the idea for a high school class for us. But since that's not visual, that's probably an idea for another podcast. But that's my basic hybrid. And I do have examples where I kick it up a notch. But let's first talk about how you might have been using that hybrid option for Wyatt. Oh, I got one word for you. And that is Mythbusters. My husband, Rich, does the science part of the homeschooling. And so for a while, he and Wyatt were really into physics and especially rocketry. They made a whole bunch of different kinds of rockets, air rockets and water rockets. And they got a couple of traditional rocket kit type rockets. But what really made those rocketry lessons pop, pun intended, uh, was watching <laughs> Mythbusters. In the evenings, we would watch Adam and Jamie launch all kinds of things into the air, you know, car rockets and chair rockets and rocket sleds. Hey, um, you'll like this one. Can gummy bears be used as rocket fuel? Hmm, can they? 
Yes, it is plausible that gummy bears can be used as rocket fuel. I'll include the link to that episode in the show notes. The the fun thing was watching them turn the gummy bears into a substance that could be made into the rocket fuel. That was pretty fun. But sometimes Adam and Jamie succeeded. Sometimes they busted the myth right away. And no, it's like, well, that's not going to work. And then they had to ramp it up. But one thing is for sure, Mythbusters, it absolutely ramped up science classes at our house during those later elementary years. It was entertaining. It was educational. It emphasized a lot of good safety practice to balance out all of the madcap shenanigans. And it was a phenomenal way to emphasize the idea that it's normal for things to not always work right the first time. In the end, they used various Mythbusters episodes for all sorts of different physics, chemistry, biology applications in the classroom. So in those cases, your spines were like different science units. And then the Mythbusters episodes were designed to add that boost of something extra and fun to the classes. See, that's a great example of the hybrid learning there. Well, I call the Dust Bowl my basic hybrid experience, but it pulled me into what I kind of call my next level hybrid, where I started using television shows as an essential part of the curriculum equal or greater to the print portion of it. Okay, so Gina, um, you're just getting all sorts of questions today. Are you ready for another trivia question? I'm ready. Okay, when I say Great Depression, what's the first television show you think of? Okay, I grew up in the 1970s, so I'm going to go with Good Night, John Boy, <laughs> Nightmare Helen, and the rest of the Waltons. Am right. I right? Yes, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Or maybe that's just the people of our generation. I don't know. But anyway, yes, the Waltons. And I remember, you know, during this time, a couple years ago, when we were doing this, we were walking around the rink one day and I was saying, you know, we're studying the depression and we're watching the Waltons. And I think I'm just going to count those television hours as history. And you said something like, of course you will. Like it was the most obvious thing in the world. (laughs) And I think that was sort of my first jump into This isn't just entertainment. This can be the class. We can actually be doing history class right here while we're we're watching TV. Because each episode brought up something about the Depression, whether it was John going away to look for work or grandma not wanting the new social security system, you know, under Roosevelt, or even just seeing the family sit around the radio listening to Roosevelt. I mean, that was it. The Depression was happening right in front of us, and we were watching how people we're living through it. So I think it was you maybe who told me something about if you can justify it in a court of law, you can count it. I probably said that. I mean, it's not really original to me. I probably got it from a homeschool mom after I started homeschooling, but it really is a decent yardstick to measure yourself against. Right. And see, that's why y'all always have to have other homeschool moms to tell you these things. But anyway, you know, after you said that, I kind of started thinking, okay, well, what else will bring education alive for September that I would feel totally justified, you know, counting and explaining to a court? And then that visual curriculum just exploded for us. So we got to the 1950s. We're watching Father Knows Best because, again, it's that idea of this is a family living in this decade, and this is how they talk to each other, and these are the things that they care about. And it just really brings it more alive than reading about it in a textbook. I didn't stop at history, though. I took it to literature and specifically to essay writing. And I know I mentioned a few episodes ago and gosh, I think I mentioned it in the episode we did earlier this month, but we like to watch the middle and So it's this sitcom with Patricia Heaton, and it really turned out to be the perfect way to illustrate a personal essay, which we were working on at the time. 
and we had the book that says, here's how a personal essay is, and this is the things that are supposed to be included. And it was fine, but it was so much more to listen to it sort of unfolding in a sitcom episode. Now, did I count every episode of every season? No, but I did count every episode that we watched while we worked on the unit because she could see exactly how a personal essay was developed and how you had to have the little stories and the hooks and how you had to wrap it up at the end. And it was just a natural way for her to see a personal essay without having to resort to some stilted formula. And it just, it just worked. It was really flowing naturally for us. So I hope the wheels are starting to turn in the minds of everyone listening out there in podcast land. Ask yourself, what am I trying to teach? And what movie or television show can help me illustrate that concept? Or you could even say, you know, I really love this show. How could I use it for homeschooling? And then really let your imagination run wild with it for a bit and kind of see where you land. Oh yeah, believe me, my kid may still end up with some sort of fairy tales unit because, you know, I know I was telling you this, I got absolutely addicted to Once Upon a Time over summer and I binge watched all of the seasons and I'm not going to tell you how long it took me because it was an embarrassingly short amount of time, (laughs) but I can totally see how it would fit into a literature class. And that's the key. It's okay for all this learning to be fun. I mean, that's the goal, right? Our kids should want to know more about a subject not beg us to make it stop. All right, Gina, now's the moment we've all been waiting for. Tell us, how did you make the jump from next level hybrid to step three, where the visual media takes center stage? Okay, this all started many moons ago when I was but a young graduate student in graduate (laughs) school. And it was a bit off the beaten path for me because I was never a big scary movie fan during high school, you know, and this was the 80s. It was scary movies all the time, you know, but I wanted to take a class with Bob Torrey, who is a professor all of the graduate students just loved. And what he was teaching the semester I happened to have free time was horror films. So <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I signed up, you know, oh. Okay, this is this is going to be fun. But I absolutely loved that class. We watched Nosferatu. We watched all of the Universal Monster movies, King Kong, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman. Uh, we watched The Birds, Psycho, Aliens, Terminator. We watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a few others. But that experience totally changed my life because it made me see, really, film is the curriculum. I mean, it's a film class, but... If it works in graduate school, it can work in a high school. So last winter, we decided to watch Ken Burns' Civil War. And as you alluded to, his his documentaries are truly spectacular. And we were only partway through it when, kind of like you said with September, can we watch more? Can we watch more? Wyatt started talking about, you know, does he have other documentaries that we could watch as well? And so we started talking about which one we wanted to watch next. And that kind of got me started thinking about this idea of a class called Documenting History, the American Story, which would be a full credit history social studies class made up primarily of the Ken Burns documentary. So by the time it's all done, we will have watched Lewis and Clark, The Civil War, The West, The War, Prohibition, The Dust Bowl, The Vietnam War, National Parks, and Baseball. And because my time behind the desk teaching in college really did give me a deep and abiding dislike of tests, don't like tests. So I talked with Wyatt about what can we do so that we've got some sort of, of evaluative tool. 
So the plan right now is to have him make his own documentary about our small town here in Missouri, where he'll talk to some of his old codger friends and, uh, you know, play the part of Ken Burns and bring everything together as a project. Another one we're going to do, I think it'll probably be a half credit fine arts class, which I'm tentatively calling The Sound of America. And that will feature Ken Burns' 10-part jazz series. And the new one that he's doing um, that he just finished up on country music. And for that class, my plan is to have him make a playlist with one or two songs from each decade of the 20th century that are indicative of that span of time. And this, my friend, is exactly why everyone needs to have a homeschooling friend who is slightly ahead of you in the journey. Because... Well, you can build on what they've experimented with and you have some built-in advice and support. I mean, I just love this idea. This next level hybrid option has given us such a rich experience when we've used it. I can only imagine that moving on to step three with the total visual media is going to be incredibly awesome. And I can already think of ways. I mean, I know Ken Burns has got tons of documentaries. I know there's one like Mark Twain. I think there's a Hemingway coming out. So you could even use this for literature. Um, so yeah, Absolutely. I've got a, yeah, I've got a few ideas about classes where I could implement it over the next few years. So I'm sure I'm going to be picking your brain. <laughs> well, you know, when I was teaching at the college, I did use H.C. Anderson fairy tales as an example of romanticism, much to the chagrin of one of my colleagues who swore by uh, Gertus Faust. But my kids love those fairy tales, so you could totally do a fairy tales class. Include Once Upon a Time and the fractured fairy tales from Rocky and Bullwinkle. And then the real H.C. Anderson fairy tales, it would be so much fun. That would be. That would be fabulous. It's it's happening. I'm, I'm doing it. So I don't know about you, Gina, but I just feel like adding visual media to our homeschool has been so enriching. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, 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 love my books. And nothing will ever take the place of reading to me. But I also love that idea of watching a story unfold on a TV series or, you know, like we did in January, like everybody knows by now, we watched the entire movie catalog of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, and to me, it was just as meaningful and just as valid as a book. And it was just as educational. Oh, I feel exactly the same way. And obviously, all the classes aren't just sit and watch videos. No. But <laughs> books are books and films are films. And books are, by their nature, solitary endeavors created by you know a single person in a room with a piece of paper and some ideas that are coming out through a pencil or a typewriter or a keyboard. Movies and documentaries, they're of necessity ensemble efforts in much the same way symphonies or theater are ensemble efforts. Film requires so many different people in order to make this one final end product. And those movies enrich our lives and, and really they deserve to be studied on their own. I agree. And I think that sounds like a great place to stop today. So we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And let us know what you think about our use of visual media in the homeschool. And we'd really love to see how you are incorporating TV shows and movies and documentaries. And please keep spreading the word about the Only Schoolers podcast. You guys are such a key part to building our community. So tell your homeschool friends to look for us on iTunes or Stitchers or, you know, really almost anywhere podcasts are found. And please check out our Patreon community if you want to support our ongoing efforts. We've got several levels you can get involved at and a variety of content and special features. And don't forget to send us a question for us to answer for our Q&A episode in October. Until next time, I'm going to say thanks for joining us today. And remember, when it comes to all the standard curriculum, snap out of it and include some movies and television, too. Yeah.